Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Well, as I mentioned earlier, it's been a great day uh, in the house of the Lord here at First Baptist Flora, and I'm so glad uh, that we're together today and looking forward to being together again this evening. It's going to be a, uh, it's just a good day, and I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord for all his blessings to us. Last week, I started a uh, sermon series last week, uh, Good News of Great Joy, and uh, just as we get into this Christmas season, hard to believe that we're 13 days away from uh, Christmas, uh, just uh, thinking about, you know, um, when you wake up in the morning a couple of days ago and 7 o'clock in the morning, it's 74 degrees, it doesn't feel much like Christmas, does it? And trying hard to get in the Christmas spirit, and, but uh, so thankful for, for this time of the year, but started that sermon, started this sermon series last week week by thinking about what Isaiah said from Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 and verse 6. You know those verses, and uh, they say the people walking in, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. And thinking about Jesus the, coming into the world as the, the light of the world. And then drop down to verse 6 in that great verse that says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And man, we just rejoice. (laughs) We just rejoice that Jesus has come. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years or so before Jesus came. Isaiah said that hope was coming, and that hope would would, would come to us in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem, and that has happened, and we rejoice in that. John MacArthur, great pastor of our day, says the coming of the Messiah is synonymous with the coming of light to remove the darkness of captivity. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what he's done. As coming into the world, as the light of the world, he's come and has removed the darkness of captivity. And we rejoice in that, and we're thankful that the light has come through Jesus because Man, sometimes you look around and it just seems that the darkness is getting darker, isn't it? I mean, we just, all around us, we see evidence of the darkness of sin in our world. And I know I don't have to tell you that. I know I don't have to try to convince you of that because I know that you see it as well as I see it. And uh, you're probably as uh, uh, upset about it as I am when you read stuff like two two news stories that I saw this week, and maybe you saw these same stories that just have reminded us of how dark our world is and how the darkness continues to increase. One story was from Fairfax County, Virginia, and uh, there's a, a library, a public library there, and they, like many libraries, do different displays of books that are in their collections and books that they encourage people to read at different times of the year. and. Uh, so it's Christmas time, so they put a holiday display together of books that they want to encourage people to read this time of the year. And one of them was this book. One of them was the Bible. And it's like, oh, my goodness, why? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> they're pointing toward the Bible, so that is a good thing. But right next to the Bible, they put two other books that they would encourage people to read during this time of the year. And one of those books was entitled Gender Queer. The other book was entitled Lawn Boy. L-A-W-N, Lawn Boy. So you got the Bible, and then you got these two books, and these two books 
apologize for mentioning this, but it's the world in which we live. These two books emphasize and give graphic depictions of pedophilia, homosexual sexual uh, act, homosexual activities uh, depicted and described in these two books. The Bible, read the Bible, then read these two books and books that this library would recommend for their readers this time of the year. And also in that same display, they also quoted from Anton LaVey's book, Satanic Verses, and so they put some satanic uh, sayings out there along with the Bible in these two books on pedophilia and homosexual activity. (laughs) It's a dark world we live in, y'all. Same news page that I was looking at this week had another story about a... uh, a minister, a pastor, that had been relieved of his duties at his church, and rightfully so, but relieved of his duties at his church because he uh, danced. I could just stop right there with us Baptists and say, that's enough right there, man. But, uh, <laughs> but he, let, me, let me make it even worse for you. Uh, he danced in a drag queen show on HBO. And so the church, after a while, the church decided they, they needed to let him go. And he was a little, a little perturbed by that because he said, according to him, quoting him, that this experience of him dancing in this drag queen show was, quote, an incredibly wonderful, refreshing, deepening, powerful, spiritual experience. It's a dark world we live in. It's a dark world. These things, you know, you read this kind of stuff and we do chuckle about them because they're just so ludicrous. But sometimes they make us mad. I'll just be honest with you. It kind of makes me mad sometimes. Doesn't it make you mad? I know it does because I know y'all. I know it does. And, and rightfully so as long as our, right, our, our anger is righteously, uh, uh, righteous anger righteous indignation because we see these things that are so strongly contrary to the teachings of the Word of God. And so we see these things and we just get so angry. But the truth of the matter is that what we're seeing is we're seeing just how far removed, listen, we're seeing just how far removed our our nation, our society, our, our culture is from any sense of a Christian view of morality. We're so far from that. I don't expect the government to be the ones telling us to, how to live our lives anyhow, and morality is not going to come from them. But man, we're so far from that. And uh, there's a book, um, Andrew Walker has written a book entitled God and the Transgender Debate. And he says this, he says, the most influential sectors of U.S. culture, academia, media, entertainment, art, law, are increasingly no longer influenced by Christianity because those who occupy places of prestige, influence, and cultural impact are in most cases not Christians, nor are they sympathetic to Christian views. Well, that's what we see. And, And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of these things that we see, and that's, I mean, that's just two stories. We could go on and on and on with things in our culture, even in our own community, and that, that are so against Christian 
views and ways of living according to the Word of God. But in spite of that, today, on this day and every day, we believe in and we stand on and we will always proclaim from this pulpit that Jesus, the Messiah, has come. And Jesus has come. Jesus has come. No matter what the, what the world believes, no matter what the social influencers of our day say, no matter how unsympathetic our society is to Christian views, we will rejoice with great joy to the world that the Lord has come. We will go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ has come, and he has come, and we celebrate that today. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to very familiar passage of Scripture this time of the year. You knew at some point this month I'd get to Luke chapter 2, right? Well, we're going to do Luke chapter 2 this morning, look at some verses from Luke 2, and uh, verses 1 through 7 is what we're going to read right now, and then we'll pull a couple other verses from uh, later on in the in the chapter, but Luke chapter two, verses one through seven is page uh, eight hundred and fifty seven eight hundred fifty seven in the pew Bible. If you need to use a copy of uh, the scriptures from the pew rack, there close to you. So stand, please, and let's read. I know you know that I normally preach out of the English Standard Version, but you can't read Luke chapter two and not read it out of the King James, right? So uh, I've got the King James here and going to read that. Let's 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 take a look. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. May God bless the reading of these wonderful, wonderful verses this morning. Let's pray together. Father, help us now to hear from you as your spirit speaks to us and leads us and, and moves in us and takes us uh, to, uh, to the place we need to go in our obedience to you today, Lord. Help us to respond appropriately and rightly as you speak to our hearts today and teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. <clears throat> Just question, how many of y'all could have done that from memory? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Anybody could have done it mostly from Mount Okay, well, I, I figured somebody probably could. You, get, you could have gotten close, though. I know you could have. You know, these verses are so familiar to us that uh, uh, I, I fear sometimes, and, and, and I do it too, I fear sometimes that we, we hear these verses that are so familiar, and sometimes we lose the, the impact of these verses. Kind of like with John 3.16, you know, I'm... I preach John 3.16 at least once a year as my sermon text. I mean, we quote it a lot, but there's going to be at least once a year, Lord willing, that I'm going to preach that as the sermon. But sometimes we can we, we, we know that verse so well, that we, and that's kind of why I do it once a year. But this is kind of the same way because these verses are so familiar to us. I mean, if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, one of my favorites, you know, Linus is going to walk out onto the stage and going to say, lights, please, and, and they're going to take, he's going to, quote Luke chapter 10. It's just this wonderful. So we even see it in, in that. And so I want to take just a minute and kind of dissect these seven verses here and 
take a look at four things from these verses that will help us think about and remember some of the things that you're going to know, some of the things you're going to remember, but just to remind us of some of the things that were happening and going on right now during this time in Luke chapter 2. So the first thing is we see the regulation in verse 1, and let me, there's the four things that we're going to talk about right now. Regulation, registration, the response, and the result. Let's talk about the regulation first. Uh, in verse 1, I'm going back now to the ESV. Verse 1 says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Reminds you of some a little bit of history here of what's going on here. Judea is under Roman rule at this time. Caesar Augustus was the emperor. Herod was the king, the usurper, the foreign power, this alien power that was ruling now over Judea. Remember, this is this is the promised land. This is this is land that God has promised to his people. And yet right now, at this time in history, you can go back into secular history books and see these things, that right now in history, this heathen government, this pagan government, Rome, was ruling over God's land, uh, Judea. And so this, this government, this heathen governmental power had issued this decree that everybody should go and be taxed. And th- so that was the regulation that's going on here. The, the Roman rule and regulation was saying, you got to go and, and this taxing has got to take place, which leads us to the second point there, the registration. Verse, verse 2, so this first registration, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. This was, let me tell you what this was. It was a, there was a reason why the government would have this time of registration. It happened every 14 years. The Roman government would do this every 14 years. And it was the purpose of this registration was for taxation purposes. Government's always <laughs> looking for ways to tax us, right? So, I mean, uh, we, we kind of got some similarities here. Taxation purposes. But it was also for military purposes. Rome was a mighty military power, always known to be a mighty military power. And so the Roman government, again, wanted to know, all right, if we have to go to war, how many able-bodied guys we have that we can call up and, and conscript, conscript into service uh, if, we, if we need a military force uh, to be uh, put together? And so it's for taxation purposes, for military purposes. So every Jewish male at this time would have to go to his, return to his hometown, return to his city, to be registered. And so the Roman government, again, think about <laughs> think about our day and time right now. The government wanted to know your name. They wanted to know these guys' names. They wanted to know their occupation. They wanted to know all about their property. I mean, what their, their income, what kind of wealth, property does each guy have? And then they wanted to know all his family information. Interesting that that was going on a couple thousand years ago. So there's, that's the, the, the registration part of it. Then there was the response, and the response is the response that you and I know about, that Joseph uh, also went up from Nazareth to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem, took Mary, his espoused, betrothed wife. That word means that she was promised to him. She was pledged to be married to him. You know that she was a virgin when she uh, conceived Jesus. And, and so, uh, this, so they responded. They did what they were supposed to do. 
But there's a greater truth that we need to understand that's going on here. The greater truth of this is that the God of all creation, who is sovereign over all, right? He's sovereign over, y'all, he's the one who puts people in power. He's the one who removes people from power. Joe Biden is in the White House because God allowed that. You and I don't have to like it, but God has allowed that for whatever reason that God knows he needs to be there. And God will remove him at the appropriate time, just like he did with Caesar Augustus. He let him be in power to issue this decree. But what happened when he issued the decree? It made Joseph move and take Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. God used a pagan king to get his, a pagan emperor to get his work done. Isn't that a God thing? I love what Warren Wiersbe said. Warren Wiersbe said, Augustus Caesar was ruling, but God was in charge. Amen? I mean, Caesar may have been the one that was sitting in the palace, but God's the one who's in the throne room of heaven and is in charge of everything. And so that's, that's what's going on here. And so there's the response. It's a Romans 8.28 moment that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's one of those moments where what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. God using a pagan king, pagan emperor, pagan government to get his divine, sovereign, perfect plan accomplished. Which leads to the result, verses 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the the days were accomplished. The ESV says the time came. It's time to give birth to that baby, ladies, right? Hey, when that time comes, it's, it's, it's time, right? I mean, it was time. The time came for Jesus to be born. And that's what happened. The days were accomplished, y'all. <laughs> and in those days, they didn't do gender reveal parties. You know, they didn't, they didn't, I, I said in, <laughs> were you in there? I said in refuge, I said, and they popped with purple confetti. And I thought, wait a minute, purple? Why, I mean, what, purple? These, this day and age, it could be purple. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but they don't pop balloons with blue or pink confetti or shoot the cannons off with the blue or pink smoke or hit a golf ball that burst the, into blue or pink smoke or shoot a gun at something that blows up or into... God, they didn't need to do that because God had already done the gender reveal. God did the gender reveal. And you know when God did the gender reveal? In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. You remember when Satan came into the garden? Serpent came into the garden? Temptation happened. The fall happened. God shows back up in the garden, pronounces his judgment against Satan, and says, hey, you need to understand something. There is going to come a day that there will be a Messiah who will come and he... There's the pronoun that needs to be used. He, not she, will crush your head. What did Luke say? Luke said, and so days were accomplished, and she should be delivered, and she gave birth to her firstborn what? Son. And laid him in a manger, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Matthew 1.25 says that Joseph... Joseph gave him the name Jesus. 
So the result of all of these things, the result of the regulation, the result of the registration, the result of Joseph and Mary's response is that Jesus has come. And so the application of this message is that, that Jesus has come in those days that we might have hope in these days. Three reasons why Jesus has come. Number one, Jesus has come because of man's problem. Mankind's got a problem. We all got a problem. Everybody, that's right. We have a universal problem, and that problem is what? Sin. Everybody say it. Sin. We're all sinners. Paul said it. For all have sinned. There is no one righteous. No, not one. It's a universal problem. Every one of us has the problem of sin. Oswald Chambers says this, sin is not a weakness. Sin is a disease. It is red-handed rebellion against God. And the magnitude of that rebellion is expressed by Calvary's cross. Red-handed rebellion against God. Now, here's what we do sometimes. We hear stories about a library that puts a Bible up there next, next to a couple of queer books. And we go, man, that is... Nothing. Now that is red-handed rebellion. That is a bad sin. We hear about a preacher that's dancing in a drag queen show, and we say, now that right there, now that is some red-handed rebellion now. That's red-handed. That's, that's a, that is bad, bad sin right there. <laughs> you see what I'm doing, don't you? Your sin is red-handed rebellion. Well, I ain't never dressed in a drag queen. I hope you hadn't dressed and danced in a drag queen show. But your sin is as, is as much, and my sin is as much a red-handed rebellion as whatever the worst sin you can think of is. Because we all have this universal problem. And Jesus has come because we all have the same disease. It just manifests itself in lots of different ways in all of our lives. Even the circ listen y'all think about this, even the circumstances surrounding Jesus's advent into the world were were fraught with sin. Were filled the depravity of man is seen even in the circumstances that Jesus came into this world. You know why Caesar Augustus was even in power? I mean, let's go back to a little secular history here. The reason Caesar Augustus was in power was because Julius Caesar had been murdered and Mark Antony had committed suicide. The reason Augustus was in power was because of murder and suicide. Even Caesar Augustus himself was known for his cruelty. I read an article about him that said this, he slaughtered his way to power. You think about King Herod. What Herod do? You go to Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and you read about Herod a lot. And you remember when the wise men showed up and said, hey, look, we're, hey, king, we're looking for another king that's been born. You heard about him? Can you tell us where he is? And what did jealous, insecure, murderous, cruel, evil Herod do to try to take care of this other king that had been born? What did he do? He killed all the babies. Go kill all the baby boys. Because if you kill all of them, at least we'll, we'll make sure we take the king out. We kill all the babies. Kill all those baby boys. 
Even the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth in the world show us the depravity of man and the universal sin problem that we all have. It is a permanent problem. It is a pervasive problem. And the cure for this disease was born in Bethlehem on that first Christmas. Jesus, the Son of God, was born to die to pay the price for our sins. When that sweet little baby boy, sweet little baby Jesus boy, was wrapped in those swaddling clothes, which was what they did for every newborn in the first century, they laid him in that borrowed manger. He was already headed toward a cross 33 years later. To be, let me give you a word. Let me give you a word here. You may not have heard this word. If you've heard it, you hadn't used it much. Maybe you've read it. But he was born to be, listen, the propitiation for our sin. The propitiation for our sin. That's not a word we use a lot, but I will tell you something, Christian. It's a word you need to know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jot that verse down. 1 John 2, 2. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version because it will explain what propitiation is. And let's understand what this means. 1 John 2, 2, and he, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And here's what it says. He is the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, and our lifestyle. That's what it means that he's the propitiation. He, his sacrifice held back the wrath of God because he took the wrath of God on himself that should have been given to us because of our sin problem. Aren't you glad he's the propitiation? He's our only hope. Jesus, our only hope. And he came because of man's problem. He came to fulfill God's promises. He came to fulfill God's promises. We talked a little bit about that last week when we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, some of the Old Testament promises. There are a bunch of them. There are a bunch of them. Uh, Will Lawrence was telling me earlier before the service that he just finished a book up written by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. And over 40 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming. There's a few. I'm not going to do 40 right now, but let me give you some promises that he fulfilled. Now I'm going to move on to, uh, to, to uh, point number three. Listen to these Old Testament promises. If you want to jot these down and go look them up later and read them again, to be reminded that he has come to fulfill God's promises. The faithful people of God, a devotional I read this week, the faithful people of God in the Old Testament looked forward to the Son of God. Listen to these promises. Numbers 24, 17. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise from Israel. That lets us know that promises that the Messiah would come from the line of Jacob. Isaiah 11, verse 1, then a shoot, a shoot, the Messiah, will spring from the stock of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So that's a promise that Jesus would come from the lineage of Jesse, David's father. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness, and that lets us know the promise that he would come from the house and the lineage of David. 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah 5, 2 says, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who is alive from everlasting ages past. So even the city, the village of Bethlehem was, was prophesied about, was promised in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled that promise. Isaiah 7, 14, you know this one. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. You know that promise was fulfilled in, in Mary. Jesus came to fulfill that promise. Jeremiah 31, 15, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That's, that's fulfilled in Matthew 2.18. Matthew quoted that in Matthew 2.18 to talk about all the mamas that were weeping and crying and wailing because their baby boy had been killed because of Herod. See, even that was fulfilled when Jesus came. Hosea 11 verse 1, when, it, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That was fulfilled in Matthew 2.15. Where when Joseph, when the angel came to Joseph and said, you need to get Mary and the child and get out of here because Herod's killing all the baby boys. You remember? So they left and they went to Egypt and after Herod died and they came back, that that promise was fulfilled. And you see, Jesus came to fulfill God's promises. He is the promise who who fulfilled all of those promises. Point number three is this, that Jesus has come to complete God's plan. Complete God's plan. It's where you drop down and start looking at those shepherds, man. I love, I, 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 I got sermons that I preach just about the shepherds because I love them. You know why? Because they're us. <laughs> they, they're just normal, smelly old folks. I mean, they, they, they're just us. You know, they're just normal people, ceremonially unclean, uh, religiously unclean, outcasts of society, and yet they're the first people that God came to say, hey, guess what? Jesus is coming. Savior's coming. Verses 10 and 11 in Luke chapter 2 is where, Angels showed up and said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. You don't have to fear. Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people, all the people. Even folks sitting at First Baptist Church, Flora, December the 12th of 2021, the promise is for them. The hope is for them that this Savior is going to be born. Jesus came and he completed God's plan. Let me, let me help you understand something start moving toward concluding this message today. God's plan for our salvation, listen, y'all, God's plan for our salvation was never meant to be completed through the law or our good works. Through the Old Testament law, God's plan for salvation was never, was, was never meant to be completed through God's law. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the commands of God throughout the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, the purpose of all those commands are to, sh- the purpose is to show us that it is impossible for us to live up to God's standard. Because do you know what God's standard is? Perfection. God's standard is perfection. <laughs> Jesus himself said, be perfect. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So how are you doing with that? <laughs> you see, we can't do it. We we can't live up to that standard. And all of those all of those commands, all of the law point to that and tell us you can't do this. 
If you, have you ever told a lie? You don't have to answer that out loud. You don't have to because I know you have. Have you ever told a lie? You ever, you, ever, you, ever, you ever told a lie? Well, let me tell you something. You didn't just shade the truth. You didn't tell just a white lie. You became a liar. You ever taken something that wasn't yours? You ever s- slipped some change off your daddy's dresser when, when, uh, when you were a little kid? You ever shaded something on your income tax? You ever done some stuff? You ever taken something that wasn't yours? Well, guess what? You became a thief, a lying thief now. Have you ever had a lustful thought, gone to the beach and saw some pretty girl walking down the beach or you saw something on TV or watched a movie you shouldn't have watched or saw something on the computer and looked at some stuff and you started having some lustful thoughts? Guess what? You have become a sexually immoral adulterer. Jesus said if you look lustfully at a woman, you have have committed adultery with her in your heart. Or a man. You ever hated somebody? Well, now you're a murderer. You ever wanted something that somebody else had or wanted somebody that somebody else had? Well, guess what? Now you're a greedy idolater. You see? We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't keep it. Sometime, you know, a couple of weeks ago I talked to you about having beautiful feet and trying to tell somebody about Jesus between now and the end of the year. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So let's make a commitment. Between now and the end of the year, we're going to try to tell one person about Jesus. And I've had so many people come up to me and tell me that they're doing that. And people have been getting the bracelets. Mark Sandifer walked around today and gave out bracelets everywhere. Here's another one. If somebody needs one, there it is. You can have that one. And and so you know, use the bracelets or use the Roman road to salvation. So and I'm, here's what's going to happen at some point, either either now between the end of the year, at some point, if you ask somebody this question, hey, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven and have eternal life? I guarantee you that somebody somewhere is going to say, well, you got to try to keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> you can try all you want to, but you ain't going to do it. You're not going to keep them. And the law was never meant. To, to get you to heaven. I'm telling you, if you live to be 100 years old and you got right up to the end of your life and you had, done, you had lived a perfect life all the way up to 100 years and one minute before you took your last breath on earth, you sinned. You said a bad word or you had a bad thought or you did something and you sinned or you told a lie or something. One minute before you died, guess what? The Word of God says you just broke every commandment in the book. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you keep the whole law, if you, and you can't, but if you keep the whole law and then you stumble at just one point, you've broken every one of them. You see? You see why Jesus had to come? Because the law points, God points to the law and points us to the law and says, see, you can't do it. And then he points at Jesus who came and says, he did it for you. He's your Savior. Your only hope is Him. Jesus came. He came to complete God's plan because what the law could not do, the gospel does. It gives us the hope of eternal life 
only through Jesus Christ because what we do is we come to Him and go, I am a sinner. There is no way that I can save myself. There is no way I will ever be good enough. There is no way I will ever be able to live the perfect life that I must live. And so my only hope is to let Jesus live His life through me. And so then when I give my life to Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to my life. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. See why Jesus had to come? He came. Jesus come because of our problem. He's come because God promised he would come, and he's come to complete God's perfect plan for our salvation. That's three reasons why Jesus has come. One reason now, well, what are we to do with it? Jesus has come, so let's proclaim it. Let's proclaim it. Let's proclaim that Jesus has come. Back to those shepherds, man. Verse 17, it said, when they found out about Jesus, they told the King James said, they, they spread abroad the word that had been told them about this child. They spread abroad. In other words, they didn't just keep it to themselves. They didn't just go back to the campfire and sit, sit around at the campfire and go, well, can you, George, can you believe that? Well, I, that, I, that is just amazing. They didn't keep it. They spread abroad. Some of the verses of the Bible say they told everyone everywhere. They reported everywhere. They told everybody about Jesus, that this Christ has come. They proclaimed him. They could not keep this good news to themselves. You and I can't either. When we realize that Jesus came because of our problem, we realize we got a problem, that he saved me, that he fulfilled all of those promises for me, when he completed God's plan to save me, then we got to go tell somebody about that. We've got to proclaim Jesus. And that's why he's come. He's come to do all those things for us because he loves us so much. And then he gives us the privilege, the command, but it is a privilege, then the privilege for us now to go and proclaim him to those who need to hear it. So whether it's the people that are in Mozambique, witch doctors and idolaters and Muslims over there, or whether it's the guy that lives across the street from you that you know You're supposed to go tell him about Jesus. Let's go proclaim him. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this day, God. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's a trite little saying, but it's so true that it really is the reason for this season. The reason that we're celebrating is because Jesus Christ has come. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a fable. It's not some made-up story. Jesus Christ has come pagan emperor issued the decree so that Jesus Christ could come. The promises in the Old Testament were made so that Jesus Christ would come and fulfill all of them. The plan of God for our salvation, your plan was fulfilled because Jesus has come. So now help us today. Lord, maybe somebody today needs to say yes to Jesus because they realize you've come to them, but they've never come to you. They've never said yes to you. Others of us, God, we've got to be honest and say we're not walking with you right now. We're not close to you right now. God, we've grown cold in our walk with you, God, in our relationship with you, and we've got to come home to you, Lord. Jesus, you've come so that we can come back to you. Others, God, maybe will say, you know what, I, Jesus has come, and now i got to go. i got to be one of, i got to be like those missionaries, and I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give, give the rest of my life 
to missions. I'm gonna, I will go wherever God tells me to go. In ministry, I'll, I, I'm ready to b- become a minister. God, you're calling some people to do that. And so help us, God, to respond in obedience to you today. As you have come to us, Jesus, thank you. And now let us come to you in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If